All right, all right. Welcome everyone to the Springs. Uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, happy October 31st. I uh, hope everyone has been, uh, it's so cute to see some of the kids are, are, are dressed up. You might see my son uh, dressed up as Cookie Monster. Uh, so, so that'll be fun. Uh, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. My name is Pastor Alberto and I have the privilege uh, to lead this church alongside uh, co-elder Thaddeus uh, under Chief Elder uh, Jesus. And uh, I make it a point to say that uh, every Sunday uh, because we want you to know that this church is primarily shepherded and governed and led uh, by Jesus. And uh, it is our heart to submit to his will and to his lordship and let him uh, shepherd our hearts as we try to shepherd uh, this community. And so I'm really, really excited because I have been having a lot of fun. I know we just started this sermon series, but I've been really, uh, uh, this sermon series has been in the works for a while um, and it's called Life in the Gospel. And what we've been doing is unpacking uh, our mission statement which is the Springs Church exists uh, to make disciples who are being transformed by the gospel for the worship of God the Father, the mission of God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit. And last week we talked about this idea of gospel transformation. Uh, how the gospel uh, not only really saves us, we're familiar with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus coming and saving us and rescuing us from our sin, but the good news of the kingdom of God also sustains us. That this story of who Jesus is and what he's done is our story. And we get to enter into this story and become all that God has called us to be. He's adopted us. He's made us righteous. He's made us holy. And we begin to grow into all that God has called us to be as we grow as his disciples. And so today we're going to talk about uh, worship uh, for the worship of God the Father, specifically spirit-empowered worship. Uh, And to do that, we're going to look at two texts. One is Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. So if you're old school and you have a Bible, you can open up to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Put a finger there. Uh, And the second place is John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 26 as we unpack this idea of spirit-empowered worship. We want to be disciples who live and practice a lifestyle of worship. Uh, So I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to also stand with us wherever you find yourself, and let's look at the word of God together. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. This is what it says. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now let's look at John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, we pick up in the middle of a conversation uh, that Jesus is having with a woman from Samaria. Uh, Verse 19, he says, the woman said to me, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship where, uh, where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. With the remaining time we have together, I have two points that will uh, frame uh, this time. Number one is the broken cistern, and number two, the redeemed vessel. If you're taking notes, the broken cistern and the redeemed vessel. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and even as I'm up here, I, I have this feeling that, that, that you want to work miracles right now. That, that before we even dive into the word, Lord, I, I sense that you want to uh, put into, uh, you want to put on display what we just sang about, that chains would fall, uh, that we would experience a new type of freedom that is realized in you. And so maybe you're in this place and, and, and you feel weighed down. Maybe you feel extra tired. You feel confused and foggy and it seems like there is no freedom. It seems like there's more oppression and it seems like there's more um, anxiety and brokenness that's consuming you. I just want to be obedient to what I feel the Lord is leading me to do and that's just pray for you and, and pray that you would experience a sense of freedom, that you would experience God's power and presence and, and know with your heart and with your soul and with your mind that Jesus changes everything. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, before you even go into the word, I want to pray for you. Would you lift up your hand so I can pray with you? Lord, I thank you that you are the God who sees and the God who hears. And Lord, I praise you that you are the God who brings rest. And rest sometimes looks like you coming into our story, into our lives. And you know that we're busying ourselves with trying to find freedom by becoming the best version of ourselves or by doing everything in our power to be healthy and sane. But you come and you provide a rest and a freedom for us that is not performed or achieved. It is received upon placing our faith in you. And so this morning, Lord, we choose to just transfer our faith into uh, your hands. We choose to place our life into your hands. And Lord, would you in turn give us your peace and your joy and your rest and your freedom this morning. Any distractions that maybe we might have come into this room with, Lord, I, I pray that you would remove either temporarily or permanently so that we could see you and your word this morning and be transformed by the good news of the kingdom of God and leave here a people that live for your glory and your worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. Uh, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So let's talk about this broken cistern for a moment. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah finds himself called by God uh, to call the people of Israel to repentance. Uh, Why? Because they had completely abandoned the ways of the Lord and they were not only living for themselves, they were living for the gods and the idols of the land that they were living in. Uh, Instead of living for the worship of the one true God, they were living for the worship of Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, all these man-made gods that they thought they could find a sense of protection, pleasure, and power in. Uh, They had given themselves over to the idols of the land instead of the worship of the one true God. And one of the reasons why worship is such a powerful concept is because whoever we worship or whatever we worship has the power to shape and direct our lives. Whoever you worship, whatever you worship has the power to shape 
and direct your life. And it will either shape your life for good or it will shape your life for destruction. This idea of worship is so central to the scriptures. Worship is central to our identity. Why? Because we were created in the image of God to worship him. Uh, We were created to live in such a way where we would posture our lives and make Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit central in all that we do. And we were created to live for the glory of God the Father. So this means that we posture ourselves in such a way where God is central in all that we do, in all that we think, in all that we create, in all that we work for, we build our life around him and make much of him. Uh, This is how God has created us to live, and this is actually a good thing. Uh, Because living with the triune God, living for the triune God, is supposed to be more satisfying and more life-giving than anything this world has to offer. And as we worship God and make Him the central of our life, we will see that we've entered into communion with a God who cares about us. We will see that the God who we give worship and praise and our time and our devotion to is a personal one who loves us and who cares about us and that he truly seeks our good as we order our lives around him. And when we turn to him in love, we become more like the one we love. But if we're honest with ourselves, this isn't our story and this isn't our experience. We know functionally that living for God and making him central is a good thing to do. We all have this rehearsed in our heart. Uh, Most of us in this room are followers of Jesus and you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. You know functionally that it is a good thing to live for God and make him the central focal point of your life. But practically, it seems like it's one of the hardest things to do. Because it seems like there's a thousand different things that are competing for our attention that are competing for our heart. And instead of making God the focal point of our lives, we give other things that spot in our heart. And the focal point, if it doesn't become God, it quickly becomes ourselves. And we say things like, I know what's best for myself. Um, I know how to be happy. I want to do it my way. And what ends up happening is that we've moved away from worshiping the God who creates and sustains and have opted to create a future for ourselves and place the burden of sustaining life on us. We, if it's not, if God isn't the focal point, it becomes others. We live for the approval and pleasure of others, craving acceptance and craving approval, making other people's audit of our lives the standard by which we receive significance. And we have moved away from worshiping God who gives identity and who gives security and have opted to bow down to the approval of others. The focal point can be money. The focal point can be your career. The focal point can be your kids, your spouse, anything in our life that we make central that isn't God. And this is the story where Jeremiah finds himself. This prophet is called by God to instruct the children of Israel on the ways of the Lord and calls them to repentance uh, and, and calls them to turn away from trying to find life, from trying to find satisfaction, from trying to find power in anything and everyone else except God. 
And Jeremiah's scenario is a little bit different than ours. This people were literally building idols and temples to worship Babylonian gods. We may not be doing that today. But one thing that I've learned from the scriptures is though the culture is different and the environment is different and the times are different, people remain primarily the same. Jeremiah's culture may be different. Jeremiah's circumstances may be different. The people of God may be giving themselves to completely different temptations and idols. But that root of idolatry still flows through our heart today that we're thousands of years removed. See, Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah is saying that God's chosen people, the children of Israel, have committed two great offenses. The first is abandoning the living God. The second is serving idols abandoning the living God. Instead of living in relationship with God and making him central in all aspects and areas of life, they have turned away. And here's the tragic irony, is that anytime you turn away from the one true living God, you will always turn to something or someone else and that will become your God. Anytime we turn away from living for God, we naturally turn away to living for something else or for someone else. And this people of God turned away and began serving idols, specifically the idols of Babylon, the false gods that promised them life, security, purpose, and satisfaction. And what we see happening from this one verse is that sin is not simply misbehavior, but a worship disorder. Sin is not simply misbehavior. Sin is a worship disorder. The essence of sin is abandoning God and pursuing a life of pleasure and joy and satisfaction without him. As Tim Keller would say, an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. And when we abandon God, we will look for things that our heart desires. We will look for things that our heart desires and craves in everything this world has to offer. And if we find it, we will spend a lifetime trying to keep it on our own power. When we abandon the God who loves, we will look for love in a thousand spaces and places. And when we find it, we will spend a lifetime trying to keep it. We will try to make ourselves the most lovable version possible. We will hold a tight grip and try not to lose. But that is not love. Love is not achieved, it is received. And you can fill this blank with your own experience. Sin is not simply misbehavior. Sin is a worship disorder. And if we only view sin as simply misbehavior, then the aim of our lives will always be to correct sin and any attempt to correct sin leads to sin management and behavior modification. Sin is not simply misbehavior, church. It goes deeper than external actions. It is a worship disorder that is rooted in our hearts. Sin is a practice of pursuing, worshiping, hear me, revering, adoring things or people that you think will ultimately satisfy, complete, or fulfill you. Sin is replacing God in your heart with something or someone else. The so-called misbehavior that you experience always comes after the worship problem starts. 
Jeremiah recognized that the problem was the heart, and this is what he said in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this is the condition of the heart. Our hearts drift because sin, because of sin. And instead of leaning and drifting towards God, instead of worshiping God, loving God, living for God, our hearts live for other lesser things. And what I've noticed about the heart, at least mine in particular, is that our hearts don't just pursue or worship random things. Our hearts pursue very specific things. Uh, The things that we crave and we believe will give us the essential things in life like happiness, peace, joy, or a feeling of purpose. And if we taste it, we try everything we can do in our power to keep it. And we'll move all of our money there, all of our time there, all of our efforts there. If it means that I can experience satisfaction, joy, and pleasure. It becomes this endless cycle of trying to keep and find something that God has already poured out for us in Christ Jesus. The children of Israel, they're not just pursuing random idols. They are pursuing the idols that they believe will grant them the essential things in life. The things that they thought were the key to life, peace, and satisfaction. A few verses down in chapter 2, Jeremiah shows us what this looks like. This is what he says in uh, verse 18. And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the water of the Euphrates? Uh, The idea here is that God's people were thirsting for safety and security. Uh, They were thirsting for power. Why? Because another superpower has come and imposed themselves over Israel. Babylon has came and now they are oppressed under this foreign nation and experiencing all sorts of pain, all sorts of hunger, all sorts of persecution. And so they're crying out for a liberator. They're crying out for a superpower to come in and rescue them. And instead of leaning on the one true living God, instead of finding refuge and protection in him, they went to try to find refuge in a different nation's army. An army that was bigger, an army that was more powerful, an army that was capable of overrunning the nation that was oppressing them, Babylon. And this is the evil that Jeremiah is talking about, that they have forsaken the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A people thirsting for life, thirsting for freedom, decided to abandon the living God and quench their thirst with a different partner. And God says at the end of verse 13 that they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns. A cistern is this water tank that would be dug into the ground and the purpose was like a, a water holding tank that water would, uh, it, it would rain and catch any rainwater or water that would overflow and it would be this big container, this big vessel for water. But Jeremiah is saying that this container remains empty no matter how hard they try to fill it with water to quench their thirst. Why? Because it's broken. It's broken by rebellion. It's broken by shame. It's broken by disobedience. It's broken by sin. And no matter how hard they try to fill this empty part of their lives, it just continues to run empty and it leaks out into every area and aspect of life. And it doesn't create a world of good. It creates a world of destruction. And despite the self-inflicted brokenness and the disordered desires and the worship of everything and everyone but God, while the people of God are actively rejecting God, 
God remains steadfast. God offers a word of hope. In Jeremiah 30 and 31, he says, The days are coming when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them, and I will make a new covenant. The days are coming when this way of living will be completely done away with. And no matter how hard you try to satisfy and fill yourself with everything this world has to offer and you keep coming up empty, the days are coming where I will change your heart and put my spirit inside of you and everything will be different. This is amazing, church, that the people who abandon the very fountain of living water are promised a future superior to everything they've ever experienced or known about God. And this is really good news for us. Because maybe your life feels like a broken cistern. Maybe it feels like you're this empty container trying to fill yourself with everything this world has to offer and nothing is working. No relationships Not enough Google browsing, not enough YouTube videos, not enough scrolling through social media. You thought that maybe marriage would fix everything. You thought that maybe this relationship would fix everything. You thought that maybe this new job would fix everything. You thought that maybe this new career would fix everything. You thought that this move would fix everything and you still feel empty inside. There's good news for you. God has not abandoned you. And that God has made available for you a redeemed vessel. And we see this promise fulfilled in John chapter four. Let's look at verse seven through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse eight, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The author John Insert this note, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. He wants to make this clear. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. One of the first details we see is a woman from Samaria. Uh, You know this story. Uh, This story has been preached countless times. Uh, This story has been written about, expounded upon, taught on. Uh, You can find a thousand different resources and a thousand different commentaries on this interaction that Jesus has with this woman from Samaria. And for good reason. I mean, this is an incredible moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where we see Jesus breaking cultural barriers by engaging in conversation with a Samaritan. Um, and Samaritan, uh, Samaritans and Jews were enemies. Uh, they were common enemies. They avoided each other at all costs. Why? Because the Samaritans were sort of these uh, uh, multiracial community that uh, claimed descendants from this Jewish community. And so they adhered to some of the books, that, the Hebrew books that the Jewish people believed in. 
the Samaritans believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and they subscribed to a lot of cultural practices that Jews were subscribing to. But what the Samaritans did that outraged the Jews was that they would shift some details in these stories, in these books of the Bible, to make it seem like God favors the Samaritans and that Jews were the inferior race. And this outraged them. Along with that is, is that the Samaritan worship practice had entangled itself with Babylonian idol practice. And so it was this weird combination of worship for the one true living God that had been mixed with all sorts of Babylonian idol worship. And this further outraged the Jews. They were common enemies. They were always at each other's neck. Uh, it was to be an interaction with this region or this person was to be avoided at all costs. And yet what's so amazing is that Jesus chooses to break a cultural barrier by having a conversation with a perceived enemy. Jesus breaks this cultural barrier and begins to engage this woman who uh, everyone says that you shouldn't engage with and begins to dialogue with her and invite her into life with him. The second thing that was really scandalous about this moment is that Jesus also broke social barriers. Uh, He broke a social barrier when he engages in a conversation with a woman with a broken history. Uh, This would have been socially inappropriate and avoided at all costs. Uh, Jewish men were not having conversations with women, especially theological conversations like the one she's entered into, and especially not one with such a tattered, broken history. The idea is that she would have been ritually unclean and that she would have made Jesus unclean by this simple interaction. And yet here's what's so amazing, is that what the world sees as an enemy, what the world sees as a problematic person, what the world sees as a woman robbed of her God-given dignity moved to the outskirts, Jesus sees as a beloved daughter who has come to redeem and rescue. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God, church, that broken cisterns can become redeemed vessels. Broken cisterns can become redeemed vessels. What does this mean? That hearts broken by sin can become powerfully healed and filled with God's presence. How? Through a powerful Savior who heals broken hearts and causes living water to flow through the most barren parts of our lives. He says in verse 4 that whoever drinks of this water, I will give him Uh, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, this woman like you and me is a broken sister and the one that Jeremiah just described who is trying to quench her thirst and, uh, and trying to satisfy the desires of her life with everything this world has to offer only to come up empty. And we know she's empty because when she meets Jesus... She's empty. She's thirsting. She's needy of a Savior. And Jesus offers a hope that there is a living water. And what does this living water represent? It represents a few things. One, it represents rest. Uh, In this scenario, it represented rest from a sun-beating day, drawing water uh, at noon during the hottest part of the day. A nice cold glass of water would be refreshing. Some days after I have uh, drank more than 32 ounces of coffee, one glass of water is actually really delicious. Uh, You should try it. Uh, so, So water can be refreshing when you are thirsting Forward. And so this living water is this water uh, that represents the power and presence of God that comes and brings rest. 
rest from the never-ending cycle of desperately searching for something that will ease the thirst we have for happiness, purpose, and feeling fulfilled. Rest from performing for our idols because contrary to popular belief, when we're not serving God, we're performing for our idols. We're living in such a way where what we're living for, we hope would would reciprocate life and power and satisfaction and idols aren't meant to love us back. They're intended to keep us in bondage. Rest from trying to achieve something that will make us feel alive when God has already poured out for us living water that truly satisfies. Second thing this water represents is satisfaction. As I mentioned earlier, that satisfaction of drinking water when you're thirsty. But Jesus is taking this up a notch. He's saying that he is the God who can satisfy us in a way that our pursuits of satisfaction cannot. The satisfaction that we're looking for in a relationship or in a person, Jesus has freely offered to us in relationship with him. The satisfaction that we crave in feeling significant at work or content in the stage of life we're in, Jesus offers us that's not dictated on our circumstances, but is rooted in a greater story that is uh, uh, out of this world, a story, uh, a kingdom story that isn't dictated on what this world has to offer. A satisfaction from knowing that your life matters and that you're making a difference in this world. And this satisfaction is poured into broken cisterns, broken vessels, broken containers, and redeems every area of our life. Lastly, this living water represents eternal life. Uh, John Ortberg has an awesome book called Eternity is Now in Session. Highly recommend it. And he says this, eternal life isn't just about the future. We can have it now. It's not just about there. We can have it here. Eternal life in the individual does not begin after death, but at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into a life, interact, a life interacting with himself and with the kingdom. Uh, eternal life is not this future that we await or a quantity of life. Eternal life is a quality of life that you and I can have. Eternal life, John seventeen three is this, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is living in relationship with God and experiencing his quality for life in the lives that we live. Eternal life is living in union with him and letting his story and his goodness flow through us and invade every part of our heart, even the barren ones, and see that he can produce a river that brings life where it seems like there's only drought. Eternal life is relationship with the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The areas of our life that seem like they're dry and barren are not God's displeasure or disapproval over you. They're actually these flags that God is making us aware of where we've been leaving him out. And it becomes opportunities for us to enter into relationship with him in these parts of our lives that seem dry. And letting his life enter into those barren places and see how living water begins to spring up inside of us that spring towards this quality of life called eternal life. Eternal life is relationship with the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does this living water produce? 
What does eternal life produce? Let's look at John 19. Uh, let's look at verses 19 through 26 as we come to a close. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For God is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. For he who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak, I who speak to you am he. Uh, There's so much to unpack here, but time does not permit uh, one of the cool things is that uh, after, in this previous dialogue, Jesus uh, sort of reveals this moment that we're all familiar with, um, where he says, hey, go and get your husband. And, and Jesus says, you know, you have multiple husbands, and, and they have like this cool redemptive moment. And, and sometimes we kind of make that the focal point. Um, and I think it's a very pure good thing to, to realize that, man, Jesus loves the least of these. That Jesus loves people who we would consider broken by sin. And he comes and enters into their story and changes everything. But the woman doesn't sit there for a while. After having this awesome revelatory moment with Jesus, she immediately goes theological. Because she knows that this guy knows his scripture. And so she begins to test him and say, hey, you're Jewish and and your temple is over there, but I'm Samaritan and my temple is right here. And if you know anything about this history, one of the reasons why they were feuding so much is because they were trying to figure out which place is the correct place to worship God. The, the, The Jewish nation believed that the temple belonged in Jerusalem and that that was the place to go and offer worship to God. But the Samaritans believed that the mountain on which they're standing right now, Mount Gerizim, was the true place of worship. And in fact, they had built a temple to worship God their own way. And a couple centuries earlier, the Jewish people completely destroyed it. And so now her heart is convicted and she cares about the living God and she wants to worship him, but she's conflicted. Where do we worship? What does worship look like? Is it in your temple or is it here? And Jesus says this, the day is coming. In fact, the day is now here where worship will not be restricted to a place or to an event. It becomes a lifestyle, a lifestyle of making God central in every area and aspect of life where worship is no longer this activity of going to the temple and offering your sacrifices and offering your praises to God and then leaving and going about your business. Rather, Jesus is saying that a new day has coming, the one that Jeremiah talked about where the temple of the living God would come and dwell among us and make us his temples and put his spirit inside of us so that wherever we go, We walk and live in such a way where God is with us and we make much of him in every area and aspect of life. A lifestyle of making God central in every area and aspect of life. The spirit of God moving in us and moving us to worship. The temple is neither here nor there. Worship and experiencing God is no longer restricted to a place behind the veil or a location to meet him. Rather, everywhere you step becomes holy ground, church. And everywhere you go becomes a divine place where you can encounter the living God and experience a God who pours out living waters 
that truly satisfy and transform everything. And if we're going to be a people, if we're going to be disciples who live for the worship of God the Father, this has to move past knowledge about worship, knowledge about God, to an experiential knowledge of God. To knowing who God is and what he's done for us and experiencing him and living in such a way where our worship is just a response to his goodness and glory. Where our worship to him is just a response to how tenderly and deeply loved and cared for we are by God. Where worship isn't something that I strive to do or strive to produce. It's a reality that I live in because I live in triune relationship with God and I've experienced his goodness and I pour that out in reverence to him. What does this living water produce? It produces true worshipers. Living water flowing in us to make us a living sacrifice. Living water flows in us to make us a living sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. God's power, God's presence flowing in us and through us, making us come alive. And it doesn't stop there. It makes us a living sacrifice. To live in such a way where God becomes the central focal point of all that we do. To become disciples, living sacrifices who are being transformed by this good news of the kingdom of God for the worship of God the Father first begins with drinking from the fountain of living water that never runs dry. And as we behold with our hearts the beauty of God, as we fill our lives with this eternal life, it will come out of us through worship, through living as his living sacrifice. Last week, we we, uh, preached on John 7, and uh, it's appropriate to close with it today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow the power and presence of God that transforms everything. This gospel is good news. The good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus has died to free us from idolatry and quench the deepest thirst and desires of our hearts. And this is not found in fixing ourselves and trying to mend our broken containers. Rather, it's found in giving ourselves to God the Father and letting him redeem every area of our life and letting him pour out his goodness and glory and his fountain of living water into us and through faith we can experience this freedom. You see what I love about what Jesus says is if anyone believes in me out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. And what makes this such good news church is that this experience of God's love and this experience of God's power is not on the other side of performing and achieving it's on the other side of believing and receiving if anyone believes in me he says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water if anyone 
transfers their faith and life into me. Out of your heart, I will cause my power and presence to flow through you and in you in such a way where I will transform you and redeem you and make all things new. And it's not found in you examining your life and seeing I have a crack in this foundation and an area to fix here. It's found in fully submitting your life to the Lordship of Christ and letting the good Father hold your life repair your heart, and fill you with his presence. In the kingdom of God, we believe and we receive. We don't perform and achieve. This is a gospel of grace. This is good news that freedom has been given. The deepest desires of our hearts that long to be satisfied has been poured out. Let's receive in faith. Let's close in prayer before we go to God in communion. Lord, I I praise you for this truth and for this reality. If anyone, if anyone, the common, the broken, the poor, if anyone, the hurting, the addicted, the struggling, if anyone, uh, the insecure, the, the vaults of secrets, if anyone, the downcast and despairing, if anyone, the proud, And the oppressed, if anyone, the oppressors and the liberators, if anyone believes in me, he says. Anyone out of your heart, he will cause fountains of living water. Living water that satisfies every longing of your heart. Living water that quenches the deepest desires of our heart living water he says that never runs dry the living water his power and presence making its permanent residence in our heart flowing in us and through us in every aspect and area of life Maybe right now you're, you're, you're hyper aware that there's an area of your heart that isn't filled with his living water, but it's filled with something or someone else. Maybe a, a, a habit that the Lord is calling you to turn away from. Maybe a, 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 a thought that he's calling you to forgive. Uh, maybe a, a person who he's calling you to uh, let, uh, release a grudge over. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a insecurity. Maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's fear. Right now, in faith, would you, uh, in, would you receive the living God? In faith, would you pour out your heart and say, Lord, would you take this and fill me with your living water? Because what's inside of me right now isn't producing life. It's producing death. In your own words, would you make that request known to God if you feel like he's leading you there this morning? as we empty ourselves before you, we ask that that you would do what only you can do and that is fill our hearts with your power and presence. 
Lord, I, I pray that this moment, wherever we're sitting, would become holy ground where we have this experience with you, the way Moses encountered uh, the burning bush, the way the disciples encountered uh, Jesus behind closed doors, the way the early church experienced your power and presence. Lord, uh, if you permit, would you allow us to have this experience of what we just read in such a way that would move our hearts to further worship you and love you? praise you that this gospel frees us from the power that sin and idols can have over our lives so that we can find refuge and satisfaction and joy and pleasure in living for you and with you. Lord, I thank you that just like the Samaritan woman, woman, you you enter into areas uh, that might have been culturally inappropriate or socially unacceptable to have an encounter with us that changes everything. Lord, I praise you that you are the God who takes broken cisterns and turns them into redeemed vessels and fills us with living water so that we can become your living sacrifice. Holy Spirit, would you help us? worship God the Father this week in every area and every aspect of life. In Jesus' name.